We're coming up to another dog. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to preload him with snacks. Good idea. There. Good boy, Archie. Mm -hmm. Now, now this, what's this, this dog ahead? That's basically a horse, that one. Archie's not going to win this fight. I think he stood a good chance against... Oh, Archie's playing very nice. No, oh, that, that, it's gone wrong, and it's gone wrong. No second date. <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, I went out for a stroll with comic and best-selling author of the acclaimed memoir, This Is Going To Hurt, Adam Kay. Adam doesn't have a dog, so we borrowed Archie, a lurcher from the Dogs Trust, for our walk around London's Chiswick Park. If you've read Adam's incredibly brilliant book, you'll know already that he spent the first part of his career as a junior doctor, and he provides such a fascinating insight into the highs and lows of the job, I could honestly grill him for hours, but mainly about my own medical problems. Adam is honestly one of the kindest, sweetest people you'll ever meet. He's sort of living proof that nice guys finish first, and he's also got that rare combination of an enormous brain and a huge heart. As you can probably tell, I'm something of a big fan, and I'm not just saying this because I want him to give me free medical advice, although, have a look at my dodgy knee while you're there, Adam. Adam is also a really talented stand-up, and you should go and see his live show, This Is Going To Hurt, which is on tour all over the UK until August. For tickets, go to thisisgoingtohurt.co.uk. And for more info on Dogs Trust, please visit dogstrust.org.uk. That's about it. The doctor will see you now. Here's Adam. Do you want me to take Archie or are you going to take Archie? I'm happy to be mother. And then um, when that goes wrong, you can, <laughs> you can take over. I'm imagining somewhere near that bike. <laughs> okay, well, you take Archie. Okay. Which way do you want to go? I'm, I mean, I'm no, in no, your you're... hands. Do you know this area? <laughs> <laughs> We're in your manor. It's my manor, but... Uh, this is the point when I introduce I'm, the podcast. I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally disoriented, disorientated about having a dog. <laughs> this is Walking the Dog. I'm Emily Dean, and I'm really excited because I'm with the incredibly wonderful Adam Kay, comic, best-selling author... Dog human... walker. <laughs> General human wonder. Adam Kay. And oh, no. we're in your manor ads, aren't we? Which yes. is, I don't want to do a sort of burglar's guide, but it's the West London area. Can we say where we are? Uh, we're in Chiswick House Gardens. Yeah. Which is all very pleasant, isn't it? Well, I was here with Al Murray not long ago. <laughs> oh, no, no, hang on. <laughs> don't do that, Archie. <laughs> Archie. I've not been trained at this. I've been taught how to walk you and give you a snack. <laughs> not break up. Not into dog sectarian violence. <laughs> Millwall and West Ham trouble. Yeah. We should say Archie just saw two dogs yeah. up ahead. You're the dog expert, you're going to have to say what they are. I'm going to call that one a black dog okay. and that one a beige dog. That looks. <laughs> Is that a Labrador? That oh, looks no, like don't, a don't, no, don't, don't Archie, do that. Archie. Don't do that. No, Archie. no, no. Archie, Archie, would you like a snack? Archie? Archie, well, I didn't have a Good fucking boy, snack. Archie. There we go, there Good we go. There, you there we go. Good Good Emily Dean is currently cuddling a very angry Archie. Totally changed personality <laughs> the minute the lady from the dog trust gave him to her. In retrospect, we should have chosen a place where there were no other dogs. <laughs> so I feel we should explain who Archie is. Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, Archie's my nephew. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Archie. 
Yeah. He's a lurcher who... He's a, a, a borrowed dog. He's a borrowed dog from the Dogs Trust, who I work with a lot. And they're a really good charity, rehoming charity. And we heard a bit about Archie's backstory, didn't we? We did. Which was... He's, he's been at the Dogs Trust twice. Mm. He appeared with them and uh, took a bit of... Uh, oh, no, ignore that. <laughs> There were some birds. <laughs> um, he was lurching at birds. It was like the nineties yeah. all over again. He was, he was on full lurch. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's quite as we as as the audio demonstrates. He's quite a bouncy dog, uh, which is the euphemism that the dog trust used for a lunatic. Um, and uh, and so he his initial owners weren't stealing very well, and then he was he was rehomed. No in fairness, I can see where they're coming from. And then he was uh, he was rehomed. But then that one uh, went wrong as well. And so he came back on sort of sale or return. And now he's... Uh, he's with us. Now, he's, he, now we, we've, we've got him on, I would stress, a very temporary basis. <laughs> so how are you finding Archie? I've always wanted to have a dog, but never been allowed a dog because my husband hates me. And uh, that's, oh, he's got reasons like we're always away from home and sort of working away on TV stuff and whatever. This is James. Um, we're allowed to mention his well, name. Well, that might have always yeah. happened now, hasn't yeah. it? So, uh, so, that's, so that's James. So, it's official record. So, so um, James, he's not a fan of dogs. Um, he's sort of not a fan of the, like, the dog paraphernalia, like the walking and the shitting. Okay. And, no. Um, <laughs> and um, should we give him a snack? That's a great idea. Yeah, Archie, okay. Archie, would you, you like one of these? Snack? There we go. Good See, boy. we're friends, aren't we? Nice and easy. I think, it, I think it, it's mostly the shitting. Right. Because uh, we've, we've come a long way since the days of the wolves, haven't we, in terms of dog breeding, like your one. Yeah. Ray can quite comfortably go in a, a handbag. Yes. And there are like the pugs that look like they've been like sort of sanded down. But yes. we've not sorted out the gastrointestinal issue. <laughs> Uh, that dogs have, and so I think. Do you know what this I is think like? if we can we can breed them into a sort of anusless system, then I think that would really help me onto the the journey of getting a dog. If you don't mind me saying, you can tell he might have studied medicine at that point. That, <laughs> it's like when you watch TV with a makeup artist, and they say, oh, "Look at the shine on that." It's the Judy Dench. Yeah, okay, we're coming up. We're coming up to another dog. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to preload him with snacks. Good idea. There. Good boy, Archie. Mm. We've now, got, now this, what's this, this dog ahead? That's basically a horse, that one. Archie's not going to win this fight. I think he stood a good chance against... Oh, Archie's playing very nice. No, oh, no, no and it's gone wrong, and it's gone wrong. No second date. <laughs> okay. Do you know what, though? That would be a great way of speed dating. You, at, least, at least you know within two seconds. Yeah, because it would... Yeah, <laughs> you can't date someone whose dogs want to you know, kill yours. <laughs> I meant for the dogs, if humans oh, for the behave dogs. like that. Oh, yes. Just oh, make yeah. it very clear, just scream in their face. But then like again, they've, they've got shorter lives. That's probably what a normal relationship looks like in the same, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on the same time scale. Oh, so as yeah, I want to yeah, talk we had about... one dog date. <laughs> as I want to talk about your, your childhood, <laughs> like Sigmund Freud. Okay. But um, did you have dogs when you were growing up? No, we were, we were a cat-based family, but... Uh, uh, oh, more dogs. We've, we've, this is the wrong postcard. So we're going to... It sort of worked before when I gave him the... Oh, no, because Archie, Archie could have all of those, couldn't he? Those are the, you know, stupid-sized oh, no. dogs. So no, no offence to you. Yeah, it's like, it's like a joke. Uh, we've okay. got one, two, three... Hello! Three, three, one, two, four. Three, and I guess that one's oh, technically look. a dog, isn't it? 
Okay, He's good boy. Us. Good boy, good boy. Oh no, those ones are back ads. Oh no, okay. Sit. Good boy. Oh, that was clever. I'm a bit Dr. Doolittle. You are. So, yeah, your childhood as oh, yes. when you were growing up. Yes. Well, so, uh, you grew up in London. I grew up London. In, in, yeah, London. And, uh, but we spent a lot of holidays up in North Yorkshire and our best friends, family friends up there, um, always had Airedale Terriers. Mm. And so I, uh, that's my, that was my ideal, I think she probably still is my ideal dog. I mean, I put the request in, there's it with a fucking lurcher, <laughs> but uh, no offence Archie. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> no, um, no, but no, Archie, 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 Archie's great, Archie's great. Um, so with you, when you were growing up, so you, you came from a family of, I mean, was it a long line of doctors or your, your dad was a doctor, is that uh, right? I'm sort of, there's always a, as medics call it, a positive family history. Um, uh, my dad's a doctor, my brother's a doctor, sister-in-law's a doctor, sister's a doctor. It's sort of, Your sister's you know, a doctor as well, so... Yeah, and also, she didn't read my book at all because she's gone into obstetrics, the same, the same mistake I made. But uh, it turns out, looking at her CV, she seems to be a lot better at it than I was. Uh, so. was your mom, did your mum work or was she a no, homemaker? No, uh, she, yeah, she was a home uh, maker, and uh, and I always imagine. I don't know. I think I just assume because I know the school you went to, which is Dulwich, which is quite a, a posh boy school. But I just think of it as like a very. I suppose I describe your background as kind of middle class. Yeah, is that fair enough. middle class to the extent that being a doctor was sort of inevitable. So uh, family of doctors. Okay. Quite liked casualty. Um, <laughs> uh, went to the sort of school that was designed to churn out, you know, doctors and lawyers and architects and all that stuff. Did your parents ever talk to you in a sort of, or when you're a doctor, or you know, was it? I, I don't think it was ever that on the nose, but it was just more of an understanding that well, like when I was choosing A-level subjects, it would be like, well, I mean, if you do, yeah, this makes sense. You're good at the sciences. Why don't you do that? Also, I didn't. In fairness. I didn't have any other, you know, ideas, and so I'm one of I'm one of uh, four kids. I'm the eldest of four, uh, and three of whom went to, to medical school, and the other one went did uh, did, did law. You know, Jewish family. Uh, uh, my son, the the doctor, um, but uh, James, my husband, the other yeah. golden hairy lurcher. Yes, in my life, uh, the more permanent lurcher. <laughs> um, his his dad was in. Uh, advertising he was sort of a creativity type he you know he, he's one of four as well and they are um james is in telly and the next one's in telly and the next one's in music and the next one's in like digital media so it would have been weirder if they all became doctors and lawyers yes. because i guess as a uh, as a parent well, i don't guess i know as a parent you want the best for your for your kids and you know that's what you know that's safe your your world you know we did all right as as you know ad people or as yeah. um, as doctors so and what kind of um was your dad a surgeon or a gp He's gp and retired uh, a year or so ago oh okay we've come across i'm gonna say 400 birds <laughs> and a dog okay this Aww, is a real it's a real a test dog. Is, is everyone with a dog recording a podcast or is it just us <laughs> You do start to think that at times. It's like some episode of Black Mirror, where you find out every dog walk is, uh, yeah, publicly shared. 
So was your atmosphere at home, was it quite, how would you describe it? Was it fun? Was it lively? Was it noisy? Was it, I always describe uh, my childhood as sort of benevolent chaos, if you like. I, I think my, my family was a fan of rules. Uh, so, and there was a lot, you know, I had to learn loads of musical instruments and, you know, we all had to have, you know, extracurricular activities and uh, did lots of homework. I sort of remember a lot of homework and a lot of, a lot of piano lessons. And I imagine some love and stuff in there as well. Yeah. Uh, and, you're, and were you close to like your siblings? <laughs> <laughs> were you close to your siblings? Yeah, so there's uh, uh, boy, 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 girl. And there was a big gap between uh, uh, child three and child four. So uh, my sister, I didn't spend a lot of, I didn't really know. She hadn't sort of developed a personality by the time I'd gone off to, uh, to university. Uh, but she seems all right, and uh, but my my brothers I'm not close <laughs> in age to, and uh, yeah, no, no, we're, no, we're all good, we're all good. <laughs> oh, there's three coming there's three here. There's three and four, four. That looks like okay, Arch, Arch. My good goddaughter boy, Bessie, who you're familiar with, who yes. you're friends with, that looks, looks like nothing like her. <laughs> it looks like her dog. See that one? Oh yes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're quite the right. little grey one, yeah. Yeah. Bench, really sweet. Yeah. You see, how do you feel? I wanted to ask you this. How do you feel about the interaction, which you're probably starting to realise is very much a part of the dog walking experience? Do you like that or...? No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> I presume you're getting that, that vibe. Uh, Are you an introvert, Ads, or an extrovert? Uh, I'm an introvert, um, uh, which feels a weird thing. Cause, but, you know, sort of, you know, I go on stage a lot and do things, but that's very different that's on display but you know I quite happily of a normal day only ever speak to the delivery driver when you were growing up then as were you funny yeah. did you have that sense because as I say I mean I know obviously you were good at maths and music and the two are often connected aren't they but you had that kind of a brain but we was there a sense of you being the clown yeah no, I was always the I was always the, the, the class clown um, and I enjoyed writing but it was never sort of really nurtured because it it couldn't be if you're doing four a levels in in science so it sort of it went by the wayside uh in uh at school really and i worked on the school newspaper and stuff so uh you know i had sort of a bit of bit of writing but uh it sort of went into uh, I don't know, went, uh, that went on pause until university, where at medical school there's this tradition of doing terrible, you know, shows, I've comedy reviews. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Is that so, a sort of rag week type rag thing? Rag week thing, yeah. yeah. It's sort of, uh, my medical school, it was called the soiree. Yeah. Um, which, uh, was, you know, as you make fun of your, your professors and your consultants and uh, imagine your patients, so, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, and that's... I really, I wasn't good at it, but the show was absolute dog shit. Apologies, Archie, and uh, and I was sort of. Not at all. You're speaking his yeah. language. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, like, I was mediocre in a terrible show, uh, which uh, you know sort of encouraged me to do more and more and more. Yeah. And then I became a doctor, which doesn't allow for an, an enormous amount of. Of free time so the performing that I'd, I've sort of I think I was well known amongst London medics I'd sort of I'd I'd, uh, I'd achieved becoming the known comedian in that extremely tiny niche do you and did you have snack? that sense ads when you were doing that so you were going for, I should call you admin it's very unprofessional 
In fact, you're um, the only person in the world who calls me ads. I quite like it. <laughs> I always make up strange nicknames to people. No, and it's good. Like, I mean, um, you've not saved a lot of time with that abbreviation. You've got, you've, you've, you've snipped out a syllable. We've gone from, it's not, it's not getting a, you know, an Alexander down to an Al or anything, is it? But no, no, go, go, know, go, go for it. But I like. I'm, I'm calling, I'm calling this dude Arch, and we've okay. only just met. <laughs> um, but did you have that sense of, I suppose, slightly being on a not conveyor belt? That sounds really rude. No, I think that's exactly what it was. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. But it was a great conveyor belt to be in. It's, I mean, it's the, you know, the journey of, you know, becoming a doctor, working as a doctor. It's the most amazing privilege in the world to do that, that, that job. And uh, it's something that's a dream, an unachievable dream for a huge number of people. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't feel like I ever resented it until the point where I realised I'd made a totally the wrong decision and that sort of that sort of in retrospect coloured it a bit but yeah. no, at the time I, d- I didn't feel like I was being pushed into it yeah but then again at, at no point did I ever said I want to be a landscape gardener and you know this is my yeah. obsession and let's do let's do this but um oh we've got some more dogs coming okay. here let's so we've got, I'm going to describe that one as a brown dog with a big tongue and <laughs> is that right <laughs> I think that's some sort of setter. Archie, yeah. Archie, Archie, good boy. Hey. Ah. What kind? What is it again? Flat coated retriever. Flat coated retriever. Archie, Archie. Archie's paying. Getting too friendly. No. Is that right? Yeah. That's why he's in the dogs it's trust. He is a lurcher. He's. Yeah. Do you want him? Uh, I've already got him. Okay, fine, fair enough. They don't seem to like each other. It's a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry, dog shot. Like we thought I thought we might have rehomed him for a second there, but then whatever. He was, was very Downton Abbey. I like that. What was he called? A flat-headed retriever. A flat-headed retriever. Flat-headed retriever. Like a, sc- a screwdriver. <laughs> they come as flat-headed and Phillips. <laughs> Was your school, by the way, your school was Dulwich College, That's wasn't right. it? It actually has a, a tradition of churning out lots of, um, as, well as, uh, as well as being a sausage factory of doctors and lawyers, it's managed to, to get a few authors out there. And so P.G. Woodhouse okay. uh, was there, and Raymond Chandler and Michael Ondarcha, and all sorts of interesting people. Ernest Shackleton. Oh, wow, that okay. That boat dude. When, when I was right at the end of my time at school, yeah. that film... Uh, Perfect Storm came out, yeah, and then everyone had suddenly heard of Shackleton. Mm. Well, previously, no one had heard of Shackleton. That's your sort of, you know, Antarctic nerd or Arctic nerd, yes, whatever. Yes, exactly. Uh, and uh, he'd for some reason donated his boat, the James Caird, to his old school. Oh. Uh, and so it was in, the, in one of the, the cloisters. I mean, to give you an idea of it, it's not sort of totally rough. Uh, I was going to say, I mean, we were just like, a, we had the, the boat in the cloisters. Yes, yeah, in the south cloisters. And so it was this, this, this horrible sort of old boat propped up on some rocks. If you, if you got out of lessons early before the bell at lunchtime, you could go and eat your sandwiches. You go into the boat <laughs> and sort of, uh, and, sit, and then, which was just sort of, you know, fit a few people in there. It was quite, quite fun. I'm pretty sure I graffitied it. Anyway, I shouldn't say I that. I'm pretty sure I definitely haven't graffitied it. And then, uh, and then suddenly, uh, Ernest Shackleton became extremely famous. 
and now the, the boat is hermetically sealed in a sort of temperature and humidity controlled environment and it's sort of... Did you goes... have that sense of I was into the Smiths years ago? Yeah, 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 since his first album. Um... <laughs> So were you, as you know, at school, I always describe myself as I was clinging on to the pretty team by, the, by my fingertips, always being threatening to be oh, objective. Of course, yeah, you went to Mean Girls, didn't you? Yeah, I went to Mean Girls High. <laughs> it really was, now I think about it, but that's another story. But So I had that sense of, you know, I was always about to be excommunicated and I had to, you know, if I wore the wrong shoes or... What, who was your group of friends? And what was your role in it? Oh, I don't really know. Probably, probably sort of nerdy, rather than a bit, a bit of the music crowd, a bit of the, the maths crowd. Uh, yeah, I definitely, definitely wasn't cool. But um, I like those people. I, I think I tried to be cool for a be... bit, Did and you? then I realised this is exhausting, and it's not. <laughs> It's not, it's not working. It's like if I tried drag or something. I could, I could make as much effort as I, I liked, but the way I carry myself, the, the, way, the, the way everything was, was, was against me. So how eventually did, I decided, oh, I don't want to be. How did you cool. try and be cool? Did you go golf, maybe? Or? Uh, I, just sort of, I, I would listen to music that I didn't even like, just so I knew about this music that I hated, so I could, you know, sort of... <laughs> I was never, I was never golf. I mean, I... I did, I mean, I'm just, I say my, my, my prayers of gratitude every day that there wasn't Facebook at this point and, there, and there's, as, I, as far as I know, there's relatively little photographic evidence of this, but I used to have my hair done in different dyed patches of different, you know, diff different colours of browns and blondes and like, you know, the, in, a, in a way that, you know, the dog strut would really struggle to rehome me. What I like is that you didn't go for green or pink. You went for a nice sort of... Look like a mutt. Go for a nice sandy brown <laughs> and a yeah, golden but was, caramel. Yeah, it was, but it was like a jigsaw. Archie, you're going to have to let go of that because that's your... Archie! No, 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 oh, goodbye. Good boy. OK, I'm now out of snacks. I've got loads. OK, fine. Can I chuck some in my pocket? It's like, what's the film? I can't remember the period of time, length, time of hours, but when the man gets stuck in, in between the rocks and has to cut his own arm off. Oh, yeah, yeah. Something hours? How many yes, hours? 100... 127, let's yeah, say. Yeah, let's say that. If yeah. we're wrong, I apologise. But that's what it feels like with Archie's snacks. The <laughs> countdown. Exactly. exactly, yeah, no. At that point, we're fucked. He's going <laughs> <he's gonna> to take off. <laughs> Moolah boxer. <laughs> so, and we mean an actual boxer. We mean Anthony <laughs> Joshua at this point. <laughs> yes. So your cool phase, which I enjoy very much. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't <laughs> say cool, it was, it, was a, it was my perception of cool. <laughs> oh, no. Because we chat a lot in real life, sort of forgetting we're being recorded. But, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I have this theory that those... Well, it's not this theory. I think it's, it, it's actually proven in some ways that people who tend to feel not part of the cool gang. Do you know what I mean? The non-jocks. Yeah. They are the ones that I think, being old enough to see this happen, tend to be opinion formers in later life. And they have, you know, they, they create interesting, important work. 
Yeah, no, so yeah, it's, it's interesting what, you know, what you, would you say to your, your younger self? I would say uh, buy lots of shares in Apple, I think. And have well, loads, what, loads more sex. What would you say about, would you say, because look at, you know, the success that you've had and as we should say, you went to medical school, you went to... Oh yes, became um, a doctor. So you, went, you did medicine at um, Imperial. That's right, which is part of the University of London. Are we allowed dogs in there? Sure, dogs on short leads only, don't worry. Well, we can make it short. But this is, this is pretty short. So you went to Imperial. We're touching thighs. Did you get like... Do dogs have thighs? Dogs trust, do dogs have tr- thighs? No, okay, <laughs> fine. These <laughs> two lovely women are just called dogs trust now. Do you got, how many A's did you get? Uh, yeah, I got, I got... <laughs> All right, mum. Uh, I had four A's at A-level. Oh. But you had to, you had to, you had to, is that sort of... And what were the A-levels? I did uh, physics, chemistry... Imagine if we found out you were one of those lying authors. Yes. That actually... <laughs> you didn't lie, you got four A's. And they were in physics, chemistry, maths and further maths. <laughs> Swoon. I don't know, we can't I, go in there, okay. into the greenhouse. Um, and I, I would, do find that quite I think this, 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 adds to the, this adds to the theory that I'm not cool, doesn't it? These, that, that's not... None of the cool people are doing those A-levels. OK, now there's a crowd of old people coming up. Yes. Really, really old people. And a staffie. And a dog, and a staffie, who could totally take Archie. Staffy. Yeah, OK, now the staffie's getting Hello, down off the bench. Staffy. Hello, darling. Okay. Dog's trust looking nervous. <laughs> Giving each other a What's he called? Uh, Kruger. 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 This is, this is Archie. Archie. They're Hello, friends. Kruger. Good. Okay. Hello, darling. Okay. Come on, Arch. <laughs> Archie, you don't want to take on no. Kruger. Kruger's looking at him. He didn't blink. He was just like, you're having a laugh, mate. Awesome. It's like revving your, revving your car when you're next to a Ferrari. Kruger. I mean, Kruger was like Ross Kemp. Yeah, exactly. Form. Also, the fact that he was called Kruger, yeah. Freddy Kruger. Yeah, exactly. It's like a like a rectangle shape. It was a, like, sort of. He was sort of like. So angular. Yeah, he was a sort of. He could stack them. It was, some, it was a bit Maradona, I think, physically, <laughs> which is how I compare myself. The, the A-level thing. Yeah, go on. What, the best doctors are not the cleverest doctors. It's because I think it's a it's a communication job. It's not a nerdily remembering your sort of biochemistry lectures sort of thing. But medicine has always decided, which I think is wrong, to set the bar for uh, the, for the academics required quite high. And at the same time, they differentiate between these people who are on for all these A levels, not by interviewing them to see if they're made of the, the right material in terms of how they're going to deal emotionally with the bad days at work, but by having lots of extracurricular activities. So actually, the fact that I played the piano and the saxophone and the trombone, I did the school newspaper stuff, that was like tick, tick, tick. So if you go to any medical school, everyone's got their, you know, their grade eight cello and their captain of the lacrosse team on the first 11 and the first 15. that adds. I like the fact that they thought playing the saxophone was good. Like, what, you're going to be a doctor in the Muppets or something? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, just, it's just the way, this surrogate measure they've always... Right. And it's, it's been always. So, uh, so if you look at the Wikipedia entry of any famous doctor, it's always been uh, the same. So, so you, after you went to Imperial and then you then do... After you've done your degree, yeah, um, which is how long? 
It's, uh, mine was a six-year degree, uh, because I will say, as well as the medicine degree, that I had a Bachelor of Science, but it's either, it's either five or six as an undergraduate. And then you decide what you're going to specialise in? So basically you, you do the same basic year, which is now two years, in a hospital where you're a house officer or a foundation doctor. And uh, so that's, that's when you work 16 hours a day and get covered with bodily fluids and not even the fun kind. And you decided to specialise in... Obstetrics obs and gynaecology, obs and gyne. Um, Rats and twats, as it's known. Or maybe for the times it's called parts and labour. And why did you decide to do that? Sort of depends who's asking. Um, you know, if, uh, if I was being interviewed by someone proper, Emily, I would say that it was, uh, you know, what, what an amazing privilege to you know, work on Labour Ward. And, uh, but the truth of it is, no, stop eating that. He was I've talking to Archie, by yes. the way. <laughs> but actually, so when I was, uh, when I was at uh, medical school, um, you, you rotate around each of the different specialties. And I think I was always hoping I would go to the one and be like, oh, ophthalmology, this is it, this is what I'm going to be. I never quite found it, but uh, when I was doing... What's um, ophthalmology? Eyes. Okay, uh, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's the one, I can't, I can't even put eye drops in myself. I would, I, that, it definitely wasn't ophthalmology. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but when I did Ops and Guyany on Labour Ward, um, there was a registrar, so a middle grade doctor, who, who I really respected, which means fancied, who told me that um, if you work on Labour Ward, you only have to learn how to do four different things, which is cesarean section, ventouse, which is the mini hoover, forceps, which is the salad tongs, and then sewing it all back up afterwards. And the obstetricians listening will pretend there's more to it. Than, there is yeah. slightly more to it than that, and you have to work out when to do each of your four tricks. But that's basically what the job is. And so when it came to choosing, I thought, well, because nothing was... I wasn't obsessed with anything. Mm. Um, I might as well do something that I think might be fairly, uh, fairly easy. I'm interested in that because in your book, which we are going to get onto because I'm sure everyone will be aware of it, it's kind of hard to ignore, um, it's called This Is Going To Hurt and it's sold a million copies since it was published two years ago. Yeah. It's outsold Michelle Obama. Um, Michelle who? <laughs> and um, not only yeah, isn't it an weird. extraordinary sort of professional achievement for you, but I think it's... It's interesting because that book has really touched people. I think it's opened conversations actually about the NHS and about the way we perceive doctors. And even though it's funny because you're a comic, obviously, and that's how you're best known, I imagine having written that book, I mean, I'm, I'm leaping ahead here because obviously we need to talk about why you decided to leave medicine and being a surgeon. I want to go back in time to having chosen that, that path why you decided it wasn't for you? I wasn't made of the right material. I, every, every medical specialty is basically like this sine wave going constantly up and down and up and down. And, but different specialties have a different height to their sine wave. I, I chose, stop whimpering, come on, it's fine. Um, I, I chose... Oh, you about bedside manner? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Until I was the surgical type. That's um, Adam's palliative worker. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was drawn by um, the height of the highs of my specialty. Obviously, there was no better 
day at work than you know than delivering babies. And I also worked a lot in infertility clinic, you know, giving um, you know couples who, who wouldn't have historically been able to have children at all only a few decades ago. Now it's actually very rare, for reasons other than money, uh, annoyingly, to to say to to a couple they won't be able to have children. So it was it's huge highs, but but no one in medicine really talks about the the lows. It's like I was saying at the start about how you pick doctors. It isn't. Um, how are you going to deal with the with with the bad days? That's never that's never mentioned. Yeah. It's all. If you want to be a pilot, they'll make you go, you know, speak to someone and uh, go through huge amounts of psychological testing. If you want to be a a, a train driver, they'll make you speak to someone in case the worst happens. Someone jumps in front of your train. Yeah. Like that. And and I think, and it's because there's this cultural thing that we're bloody doctors and we bloody get on with it. Archie. 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 No. no, we'll tell Kruger. We'll tell Kruger. Archie, sit. Good boy. Sit. sit. Archie, good boy. Good boy, Archie. yeah. I mean, we said good boy. He didn't sit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just posturing. This for the is podcast. what I do. I give too much praise. Yes. Archie, jump through that hoop. Oh, well done. Oh, what a, we're so good at this. I want it to seem like I'm super vetess. <laughs> so, no, I'm interested in what you're saying, Ads, about how this idea that with the medical profession there's a lot of emphasis on your academic ability and very little emphasis on your ability to handle what are very testing situations yes exactly and, and the, re the reason I, I left was ultimately i didn't have the the coping mechanism to deal with the bad days at work and i could deal with the sort of the run of the mill bad days when i had an actually terrible terrible bad day I, that, that, was, that was too much for me. And there's no mechanism for looking after the doctors who've had a bad day. Uh, um, because the culture says that it's just something you have to, have to be able to do. I mean, we should say in This Is Going To Hurt, you mention what it is and it's, a, it's something that goes catastrophically wrong. Yes. And to it's, do with the birth. And... I was the most senior doctor on a on a labour board, yeah. a senior registrar, which is one click below consultant, so out of hours you'll be the most senior pair of hands on the deck. And yeah. all you ever want is a, is a healthy mum and, uh, and a healthy baby. Yeah, and look, I ended up with neither healthy mum nor healthy baby. Yeah. And it wasn't my fault, and everyone said it wasn't my fault, and I believed it wasn't my fault, but when people would say that if you're the most senior doctor on the lay board, something like that, some big disaster will happen every five or six years. And I realised I couldn't face that kind of thing um, ever, ever happening to me ever again. And yeah. so, look, a bad day at work for me now is... Um, a bad day was this morning when I arrived outside your house and said, oh, I need a residence parking permit. And you're like, oh, I've got to go upstairs and find one. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I now live it's in inconvenience, very... Yeah very you know frivolous trivial existence because everything is by definition once you know once you've done the, once you've done that job so here's a question do you think the doctors that are that did continue to do that job the surgeons that do do that job on a regular basis do you think they've had to slightly anesthetize themselves to it and to de to facing mortality on a daily basis and that sense of responsibility or do you think they they're differently wired yeah i think i think i think it's it's either one or the other so, so yeah, there's, there's some doctors who can just 
who can just do it and they they are made of the right stuff and they're the ones I think that we should be you know populating our awards with and it's not that they're devoid of empathy they're just they're just much better at, at doing at doing all of that and but on the other hand and is that to do with again like I say that's just their that's just different, personality different personalities and, and like people, yeah, some that people are, good are better in a war situation for example exactly we're all, we're all different people and so there's that but I think they're the minority do you think ads you say that it's down to how you are as a person being able to deal with those life or death situations. But then I suppose if surgeons, if that was more part of the training, let's say, if that was more some, if there was more of a focus on that side of things. I think it's crucial. I think, the, I think your spot on that does need to change. I get emails every week from uh, you know, senior doctors, retired professors, all sorts, saying, I've never told anyone this, but, and then telling me their own awful, harrowing stories stories that they say they've not told to their, their partners, their first degree relatives, like, like I didn't. Um, only because I've put my head above the parapet and I've sort of, I did the thing you're not meant to do, which is talk about it. And I think that's something that needs to change because you can't look after your patients if you're not looking after yourself. And, and um, you, yeah, you didn't tell, so you're, when you decided to, this incident happened, and it's really interesting. I mean, I'm sure most people have read Adam's book listening to this. They, they really haven't. It's a, it's a very big country. <laughs> but I feel if you haven't read it, you should, because it's an extraordinary book. And it makes it's one of those, sounds like such a cliche, it makes you laugh and think, but it really does. And you don't see the end coming, which is why I'm not going to say too much about it. Um, but I had that sense that... And I know you've talked about this subsequently, that what you didn't realise was that you sort of had, after that terrible incident um, in surgery, that you had a sort of post-traumatic stress disorder that you didn't realise. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I don't know if it was actually PTSD, because um, I was on holiday uh, at medical school during my psychiatry rotation, uh, but it certainly... I used to wake up once, twice a week, back in the operating theatre, where it all happened, my you know my pulse going 200 beats a minute, and now, now I don't, and the, and that's, that's only changed since I regularly you know get up and on stage and just read out that diary entry, and um, I've done my own, I've done my own therapy, um, because I mean it's a system with no slack in it. Obviously, the NHS has never been stretched right. thinner, really, than it is at the moment in terms of number of, you know, there's a hundred thousand vacancies in NHS jobs, and so there's no slack in the system that says they, oh, maybe we should take a couple of weeks off, or maybe we should pay for you to speak to someone. So, so you know. And do you think? I mean, I know you didn't tell your parents. I didn't tell or my your parents. Partner. So I, I mean. About and my parents knew I'd left medicine. They what didn't know did you tell them I'd about left. leaving medicine then? What did you say? So I want to try writing. And what was their response? Well, they thought I'd had a breakdown. And, and actually, I probably had. Uh, but they, they, they were very worried, coming back to wanting the best for your, mm. for your kids. But actually, what had happened is I had to leave medicine, and writing was the only thing I could think of whatsoever that, that could be a, a plan B. Right. Um, that's, that, that's what I said, and they didn't find out until my, um, my, until my book came out in, uh, 
in hardback a year and a half ago. And that's your partner, James, didn't know about that incident either. No, so for half a decade until uh, yeah, after it happened, didn't know about this most sort of impactful, pivotal day of my life. Um, yeah. And until... what did he say? Oof, I, mean, I think sort of <laughs> surprised. It's like, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big thing to have in your, you know, in your background and never have mentioned. I think lots of people were very disappointed in me for not having, you know, opened up. Um, which is totally understandable, but not really amongst medics, because amongst medics, you know, that's, that's, fairly, yeah. that's fair, fairly normal. If you know, you've got, you know, loads of mates who work in the NHS, you know, a million and a half people work in the NHS, so yeah. y you can't really not know people. Hey, but you've asked them how their day was, it's, yeah, fine, because that's, you know, that's the culture. Yeah, but I suppose from what you're saying to me, I feel maybe that shouldn't be the culture in terms of Absolutely. they should have the option of talking to you people. Should, they should, that sh the culture needs to, needs to change. It needs to be baked in right from the very start, all through medical school. There's evidence for how you deal with, with bad stuff. Of course there is. Mm. The, the term, it's a weird, slightly weird term, is being the second victim. You know, if you're the doctor or the, the healthcare profession involved with a, a very difficult um, situation, you, can, you become a second victim and there's evidence there's evidence mm -hmm. for talking to people there's evidence for taking time out there's evidence for mindfulness for for religion if that's your bag there's evidence for all sorts of things there's evidence for tea um, but we don't we ignore that evidence even though every other aspect yeah. of a doctor's life is about using evidence to to treat people and that needs to that needs to change but it, it's a very big ship to, to it's, steer it's funny isn't it because I grew up in a slightly crazy theatrical family where everyone just, you know, if, if I, when I said I was giving up piano lessons, my mother went, oh, and went into meltdown for sort of three years. And so to me, I know this sounds odd, but your sort of family or just that sort of medic, slightly more rational approach to life, I always thought that was incredible. And I always thought, oh, imagine, imagine being like that. But when you talk, when you tell me stories like that, and after I read your book, you know, it's funny because what your book did was you humanised the medical profession, essentially. Yeah, I think that was the, yeah, that was the, my sort of weird, if I'd have called the book, you know, made it clear it was a harrowing polemic uh, about the plight of a junior doctor, I don't think anyone would have read it. Uh, but the idea of the doctor being human is something that gets, yeah. that can get forgotten. You don't want your doctor to be too human because they need to be absolutely correct. Uh, but they are human, they do get sick and they do get sad and they do make mistakes. And uh, I'm, yeah, I'm one person out of, uh, you know, hundreds who are trying to, you know, sort of bang this, this gong. And I've been very lucky that my, my book struck a chord and it means that the, you know, the million plus people who've, who've read it in this country, you know, next time the doctors come under fire from a government saying they're just being lazy or, or next time someone's taking a, an axe to the health service budget, um, yeah, and we'll maybe sort of see it from, from an extra point of view. Well, you said something once. I mean, I could lie and say it was in The Spectator, but I think it was probably on Good Morning Britain or something. <laughs> um, but no, you said something once, which I found... I'd never really thought about this before, and I think it's a very important point, which is that medics are academically, let's be honest, in the top 1%, really, in the country, because you have to be in order to do that, to, go, to enter the profession. So 
they have a choice, those people, about what careers they do. They don't have to go into medicine. Mostly they're good at, they have sort of mathematical brains, which means they could go into the city. Yes. And they don't. Yes. And so it's so interesting that they come under fire and there's this sense of, and you think, wow, that's, there is a vocational aspect to it. Yeah, I mean, the, this, the, 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 the book, these are diaries I'd kept at the time and never yeah. had any intention of showing anyone. Yeah. And they only saw the, the light of publishing day when the junior doctors came under fire from the government. And, yeah. the, and the line that was spun was the doctors were struggling to do it being greedy because it was this about money. This is Jeremy Hunt, when yeah. It, yeah, absolutely, when, it, when it, it totally wasn't about that. But the doctors, you know, had a very quiet voice. It was just, it just seemed like lunacy that, you know, there are much more efficient ways of converting uh, grade A A-levels into cold, hard cash than through a medical degree. And then, you know, six years of university, umpteen years on the, on the wards, um, becoming a consultant, you know, when you're in your, in your late 30s, early 40s, and then, and then potentially, the, you know, the, the option of private practice after that. But I mean, if money was your motivation, you would mm. not do that. You do medicine because, you know, because you want to help people. Because Without that, you just simply, simply wouldn't. And it was, it was just really heartbreaking hearing on the media um, the idea that um, doctors might be in it for the, for the wrong reasons. Yeah. I want to talk a bit about your comedy, Adam, because you got into comedy when you were at medical school, as yeah. you were saying, yeah. in the sort of rag week yeah, tradition. Exactly. And you enjoyed it, possibly more than medicine. It was my it was my diversion and it continued to be through the writing my uh, pressure release valve yeah for the for the shit that happens yes I see that and uh, but you know being being a doctor is incompatible with you know having another job <laughs> so yeah. or even much of a you know much of a hobby relatively incompatible with you know having sort of normal functional relationships and uh, and friendships and and so yeah, that sort of disappeared onto the onto the back burner, in, inevitably. But it did mean that um, when the junior doctor crisis happened, I had a way of, exp of trying to do my bit, which was to go up to the Edinburgh Festival and you know hire a basement. So so basically, I knew I had a bit of an audience, so that 150 people a night for a month, you know, potentially if it went well, would could hear me reading out from my diaries, yeah. and then those few thousand people would then you know, next time round have a different view, as I say, of, of what it was like to be a junior doctor, and uh, and then through extreme luck, a publisher came along uh, to my show, who was it's like. I always describe Edinburgh as being like the AGM for comedians because yeah. it's a relatively solitary job being a writer or a comedian. And Mark Watson, who's a, a great comedian and old pal, came along and um, his plus one was a, was a publisher, uh, a picador, who came up to me afterwards and was like, how much of these diaries have you got? And the answer was, yeah, loads. Loads, but a lot of it's very boring. But it turns out there was just enough to, to squeeze a book <laughs> out of it. I'm feeling for Mark Watson now who brought along, that's like an X Factor, when they do the, when the judges say, I'm really sorry, but your sister is amazing. <laughs> Mark, Mark already is a very successful author. And I know, but I'd, he was out, I'd yes. want to punch you, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, it was sort of... It's... They're successful and there's a million bestseller, okay? They yeah. want you to do that well. None exactly. of us did, Adam. Yeah, I know, I know. But um, um, that's but, uh, incredible. Yeah, so he was, but, yeah, he was just out with his mates, and then, so it's sort of had a... 
had a rude, uh, a weird route to market. As uh... I think you're very sensitive and emotionally literate, I would describe you as. Yeah. I think you're someone... I know friends tend to call you a lot over any medical <laughs> thing at all. I mean, I've got... Oh, oh, I feel a bit... I don't know what to do. I've got a spot. I'll call Adam. Well, I mean, it's, it's their own roll of the dice. I've been out of the game quite a long time. And we've been almost constantly drunk since. So, I mean, you know... <laughs> the phone calls are getting <laughs> slightly less frequent, but I still... You'll get shown a have lot of rashes. Have you ever had to do that for a friend, though, when you've been like, have you had those moments of the phone call saying, I think you mentioned a few of them in your book, don't oh, you? Yeah, but... they, yeah, I mean, people still, anytime anyone gets pregnant, they, uh, you know, they sort of say, is this normal? Is this? I've occasionally fucked up, like accidentally revealing the gender of a baby <laughs> from a scan that they didn't want to know. But, you know, generally, it's just part of the lot of a doctor sort of gets... Uh... But you are, you gave me some brilliant advice with writing because I wrote a memoir recently and I found it quite difficult but the thing I found... Well, there's a lot of similarity between the two things we've done we both talked about from a you know from our very personal point of view the most difficult moments in yeah. our in our in our lives and uh, I was you know I really enjoyed there aren't many people you can who are doing the same yeah. doing that so it was really it's really useful for me to to think about how it was to write about that stuff as well. But you did say to me, because afterwards I found the thing that was really tricky was that period between delivering it and publication as a writer when you're feeling, I felt so needy and paranoid and sensitive. And there's nothing you can do. You know, you've, you've, you've done your exams and you're waiting for the results. Yeah. You've had the interview, you're waiting for the, you know, for the job offer. It's... And also that sense of, I don't know if you felt this, but that sense of... Um, you know, there's a brilliant book about writing by this Anne Lamott, Bird by Bird, which our mutual friend Jane Goldman got me. And she says a great thing in it, which is, um, don't worry about what you say about people, they should have behaved better, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which I really like. But, yes. I mean, neither of our books was sort of slagging people off. But on the other hand, you know, there is that, there's that worry, and you must have had that with patience. There is, or... yeah, that, that was a huge thing for me, because I also had the added uh, legal incentive of not going to prison. Uh, which is what, you know, because medical patient confidentiality. So I had to put quite a lot of Vaseline on the lens and a lot of it, by definition, if, uh, as, the, as the doctor, I'm a bit player in yeah. someone else's story. It's never my story. Yes. So I didn't want anyone, not just from the legal and confidential side of things, but I didn't want to upset people. And I sort of, I blurred a huge amount of my personal stuff because yeah. it wasn't, I, I didn't feel it was just my, my story to to tell so um in fact i wanted to put none of my actual life in there but uh, my editor rightly um put back in a lot of the diary entries i'd i'd removed so you because, wrote because i thought who's i thought who cares about me people want to know about uh about the you know the experience of a, of a june doctor and the funny stories and the sad stories but actually the me side isn't interesting yeah. but but obviously she was totally right because uh you need to invest in in someone's journey you know you sort of it, it can't just be a sketch show um yeah so uh which is why i respect you for writing that book because all the comics i know with the greatest will in the world that sometimes there is a sort of fear i think over stuff being real or not or, do you know what i mean or not punchline related and yeah letting, I love letting people into yeah. too much yeah. you're allowed in this much and there's a bit in your show which i want to mention because 
I saw it at Hammersmith Apollo and I just felt so proud of you. And it has the most, it's, it's such an extraordinary experience and you really have to go and see it because it's hilarious and it makes you laugh and it's sort of so clever and so funny. And then, again, I'm not going to sort of go into it, but it's, there's a, there's a bit at the end which just has people in tears sort of really moved and yeah, it's, it's an I mean, amazing it's a, it's a confidence trick, you yeah. know, a sort of, there's an hour of me making people laugh, much in the same way that the book is. Yeah. You know, my message from the book is delivered through mostly being funny, but that's, that, was my, that was my hook into, into both things. And in the show, I lull people into a slight sense of security yeah. that they're getting one thing, but actually, I've got no great desire to be on stage. I don't live for the applause. I don't want to be Do famous. Not? No, I don't, I don't get the buzz that you're meant to. And that's why I went towards, you know, I've spent the last eight, nine years working uh, on, you know, on the side of the camera that no one, no one sees. As a saying, writer. As, 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 yeah. a, as a writer. And you're writer. writing at the moment. I don't know if you're allowed to say this. Are we Depends allowed say. to say that you're writing an adaptation? Oh yeah, no, that, 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 that's, that's an accepted fact, I now believe. So yeah, for BBC Two. So that's, but that's and my, this is going to hurt. This yeah. is going to hurt. And that's, so that's been my preferred thing. So I don't have this drive to be like, oh, 4,000 people. It's, um, I don't, I don't, you're not very I don't Hallow need Wembley. That. I'm not very Hallow Wembley, but the reason that I'm doing this now sort of quite enormous tour yeah. and I'm enjoying it is because I get to look people in the whites of their eyes and you know to tell them from the heart about you know what what it actually means to be a doctor and the toll that it takes on human beings at home and at work and I leave the stage thinking that I've done a not that I've done a useful thing, but because nothing can ever compare to, you know, to going onto a labour ward and, you know, saving a baby's life. But I can convince I myself know, that I'm playing... Yeah, I can convince <laughs> myself that I'm, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a purpose to what I'm doing. Yeah. The arts obviously have huge value, but sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm, en I'm enjoying it for a slightly sort of wanky, worthy reason. I've got to be honest, you certainly made me think about the NHS and doctors in a different way, because I think I've always made that assumption that you know, I used to joke with a friend of mine whose dad was an anaesthetist, and I'd say, oh, there you go, being all anaesthetist about it. Yeah. You know, mean it whenever he was sort of unfeeling or rational or logical. Yeah. And but that's the defence mechanism yeah. that, you, that you put up. Because if you don't have that, you can't cope. Right. If you, if you think about, if you take all of this home and actually think about all of these cases, you, you, would, you would collapse. So... Is anaesthetist, in some ways, that I, I just find that there, terrifying. There's, 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 so many, there's so many different specialties uh, yeah. on, on, the, on the front line, and this sine wave of the ups and downs is always present. It's never totally flat. Yeah. And you might think, like, oh, dermatology, derma holiday, we used to call it. You know, just sort of sit down at your nice desk, cup of coffee, see a rash. Dermatology, if you say that's... Uh, that's uh that's just a mole off you go and yes. you send someone home with a with a you know malignant melanoma you've you've killed that patient yeah. you sort of and this is why i've got this this is why this dark sense of humor develops because there's no part of medicine <laughs> yeah. that 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 this is the you're immune from the um the, the the terrible stuff happening you understand that and it's brilliant that you can communicate that because it must be hard when you're in that profession and you've yeah. got no perspective on it. Yeah, it, it is. And I mean, you are in retrospect, my diary was therapy and I didn't yeah. realise that until I looked back at it afterwards and I was like, oh, 
that's it isn't just that I was it was probably partly but it's not just that I was a sort of um, sort of wannabe low rent David Sedaris <laughs> diarist I was sort of um, it was it was it was what I had yeah. to uh, to get to get through the the bad days. Um, I wanted to ask you, Adam, about you're with your you're, you and your partner James have been together a while now, uh-huh. and I think you've got a really lovely relationship. Oh. And Ads, I need your medical brain to open the gate oh, to get yeah. to the cafe because I right. think we need your sight. You've got A level maths, haven't you? And that should open. No, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Push. Well, here's my question. How, what's the secret to a good relationship? Oh, I don't know. I think we've, uh, we, we have a shared sense of humour. And I think... A lot of people say that. And, yeah, I guess, I, I mean, it's sort of... We're sort of, you know, on the face of it, quite different people. But... Um, Do you, you know, get angry, Adam? I can't uh, imagine you ever losing your temper. You're a very calm, gentle person. Uh, I try... And that's sort of being a junior doctor, sort of in a, in a crisis, you sort of, you revert to, whether it's an emotional crisis or a, you know, a sort of, you know, a car accident, whatever it is, you just sort of become slightly practical. So it's like, you know, you're talking about your sort of, your horrendous uh, personal experiences, blunting your reactions to, to, you know, to other life things that happen subsequently. Mm. I've, you know, it's sort of, I suspect that being a junior doctor has changed my my res- response to to crises of various levels. But you know, we don't sort of yeah. We just, do you cry, Ads? Do I cry? I'm not. No, I'm not a very good crier. No. Should I? No. Um. I. When did I you cry? last cry? I cry. <laughs> at the the. <laughs> this is so like I'll. I, I don't cry at funerals. But I do cry at the emotional parts of, me, of uh, movies, and I just involuntarily uh, sort of tear up. But I think it's the music, and I know this because a couple of months ago, James was watching something on the on the, on the telly, and I was I was working, and I sort of came came down to get a cup of tea or something, and I was walking down the stairs, and the music was playing in the emotional part of a movie. I didn't even know what it was and hadn't watched any of, and I just found myself being a bit choked. I was like, oh, all right, is that what? <laughs> so I've got some bit of bad wiring. Yes. Uh, somewhere but uh, I understand that <laughs> but uh, I don't know it makes me sound awful that that, that happens and I don't I don't actually well, cry at, at sad events I had Al Murray on this podcast not long ago and I said do you Chiswick cry Al? Al Murray yes and he said I'm capable of being lacrimose at times <laughs> which I thought was quite a doctor's answer yeah exactly <laughs> very practical Oh, well, we, need to, we should let you head off now, Ads, but have, have you enjoyed your walk with I've, Archie? I mean, I've, I've hugely enjoyed uh, meeting Archie. I'm afraid it's a no from me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's, a, he's an absolute he's... cutie, isn't he? He is, we're going to say, very lively. And for future guests, dogless guests, he's probably at the top end of, um, of how uh, bouncy a, a dog can, uh, can be. Do you know what? I'm going to go exuberant. Exuberant, okay. yeah. Okay. He's flamboyant. He's the Freddie Mercury of the dog world. He is. He is. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.